Well, as we come into Isaiah 12, we've got two songs that we're going to look at here today. The Lord is my strength and my song. And these are two brief songs of praise. You know, when we sing hymns that we sing them under the Lord as if he's our only audience. And a lot of times people say, well, I don't like to sing. You know, in your Bible study and your Bible reading, I think we need to have a hymnal with us. I think we need to sing songs even by ourselves, even in our meditation. When we look at the book of Psalms, we know that many of those have been turned into hymns. Many of them, our music has been put to them. And I think it's really important for us to see how important singing is unto the Lord. For there are even verses in the scripture that says that God sings. And I don't know about you, but I'd love to have the ears to hear God sing. And you know, one day we're going to hear him sing. And we're going to find out how important it was for us to sing as we go through this pilgrimage here in this world. But when I think about the Lord, and I think about my strength, and I think about my song, we really know that he has redeemed Israel in the millennial kingdom, that they will all sing unto the Lord. The one thing that's going to go on in that thousand-year reign of Christ is there's going to be a lot of singing. You know, the Bible says that if we sing praises unto the Lord, that he stills the avenger. Satan's always trying to discourage us and crush us in our hearts and bring us to places that we don't need to be. We have to believe God at his word and we have to know that we don't need to stagger at unbelief. We know that he has spoken and that's why we can have a heavenly doxology. That's why we can sing praises to him and not just sing it with our lips but mean it with our heart. Saw them verses there in Revelation chapter 19 verse 6. And I heard, as it were, a voice of a great multitude. Now, when you come into Revelation 19, you know all the things that are happening at that point. We're coming to the end of the tribulation period. It says, As I heard, there was a voice of a great multitude, and as a voice of many waters, and the voice of many thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And he reigneth upon the world at that time. So the Bible says in verse 7 of Revelation 19, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. The church, that's the call-out assembly, that's the ecclesia, that is us. You are saved here today. For the Bible says it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe us. So when I looked at Isaiah 12, and you notice it's the shortest chapter in the book of Isaiah, but it was interesting thinking of these as songs. And I just want to come through this with you, and there's going to be quite a bit of scripture, but I think scripture is vitally important. You know, my Bible says that when the word of God goes forth, that it never returns back void. It accomplishes exactly what it's supposed to accomplish. And I believe that 100%. So as we open up here in verse 1, it says, And in that day, this is an interesting day that we're speaking of in Isaiah. If you look in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible says, The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. We have many lofty looks of men today. Shall be humbled. And the haughtiest of men shall be bowed down. And the Lord, the Lord alone shall be exalted. 
in that day. So when we look at our word here, this is vitally important to the exposition of this text. Because in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 3, the Bible says, And it shall come to pass in the day that the Lord shall give thee rest from thy sorrow. We're talking about the millennial kingdom. There's coming a day that we're going to have rest from our weariness. The Bible says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall give thee rest from thy sorrow and from thy fear and from the hard bondage wherein thou hast been made to serve. And I thought about that verse in Isaiah 26, verse 1. And in that day, this is the day that we're speaking of here in our text. We're talking about the millennial kingdom. We're talking about Christ on the king throne in Jerusalem for 1,000 years on this earth. And it says there in Isaiah 26, 1, and in that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judea. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. So as you look here in a continuation of our verse, it says, in that day. I want you to understand that day. There is a day of rest. It's coming for Christ's church. In that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I want you to notice our word Lord is all caps. We're talking about Yahweh. Oh Lord, how many times do we see this address in the book of Isaiah alone? Isaiah 25, verse 1. Oh Lord, thou art God. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. And I thought about that. Isn't that amazing? When you look at a verse like that, thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. Do you know God's counsels are still faithfulness and truth? That's like when you and I read the word of God. We say, oh Lord, let me hear what you have to say. Lord, don't let me just believe it in my head. Let me know it in my heart. Let me know that you are here. Because I think the book of Isaiah tells us many things about Christ the servant. Christ the Savior, Christ the propitiation, Christ the risen Christ of the Word of God. And when you look at a verse like Isaiah 49, verse 13, Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. I think that's just amazing. Now I want you to see it with me because when you look here it says, and in that day shall thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thy angry is anger is turned away, and thou comforteth me. We're talking about a future remnant of Israel in the context. These will recognize the substitutionary death of Christ for their sins, penal substitutionary sacrifice, biblical concept, this is the word of God, where Christ bore God's anger in our place, 
according to the word of God. Otherwise, that anger against them and us would remain. The Bible says in another great set of verses in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, the Bible says, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. But the Lord has spoken comfort in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 3. For the Lord shall comfort Zion, and he will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like a gold, a garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. I mean, I don't know about you, but these are pretty powerful thoughts. When you're looking at God here in the truest sense, and in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thy anger is turned away, and thou comforteth me. And so when you come into verse 2, see, the whole purpose of a text like this is for us to be absolutely confident in the person of Christ, the Lord, God, Yahweh, so when you look here in verse 2, what's he say? Behold, God is my salvation. God will deliver faithful Israel. People say, well, the church has replaced Israel. That's not true. God will deliver faithful Israel. God is always going to have a remnant. God will never let a day go by without a remnant. They can come through and kill all the preachers today. God will raise up another band of preachers been proven down through church history but when I look here I realize they recognize that Christ became the substitutionary atonement for their sins or the anger would remain so when he says behold God is my salvation God will deliver future Israel from both their political opponents and we have many political opponents that are against us and even the spiritual consequences of their sins God is a deliverer from those things how was God going to deliver sinful people from sin? Well, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the Bible says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. What is the Lord? Why is the Lord giving a sign? Because I want you to know that the Lord gives us the word of God for you and I to have hope in Christ. Our hope is not in ourselves. It's not in what we can do. Our hope must be in Christ. It must be in Him alone. Because God, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel, God with us. Prophesied in the book of Isaiah, of Christ to come, for us. So when you look at the verses there in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, read with me slowly. For unto us, who is the us? The us are the redeemed of the Lord. Ah! That's what I want you to see. Not the world, only the redeemed of the Lord. 
So he says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful. You ever look at Christ the Messiah as wonderful? Counselor. You look at the world today, people need counsel. They need help because of the mental anguish of what has happened today. But what a better counselor than Christ. And so when I look at the word of God here, he says, again, the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called what? Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is God. This is Christ. Isn't it amazing that they look to Christ and say, He is wonderful. He's the Counselor. He's the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And when you come into verse 7, Of the increase of His government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David... And upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I think about performance, God uses that word perform quite often. Who does that? God. If I looked around at the circumstances of life and I didn't believe that God was sovereign over all things, I would be 100% the most discouraged person in the world. Because if I look at it through logical and common sense, it makes no sense. Don't understand why of this and why of that. But if I do rest upon the sovereignty of God, nothing comes my way except by the hand of my Father who loved me and sent his only begotten son to be my savior and die for my sins and give me the Holy Spirit. Because that is what he has done. And so when you look here in this verse here, the prophet says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. That means when you look here and he says, I will trust and not be afraid. What am I trusting in? I'm trusting that God has spoken and he will fulfill everything that he has said. He began the good work. He will finish it. He will perform it. We love Philippians 1.6. I will trust and not be afraid. I will rest in Christ and not be afraid. I will not worry what may come tomorrow or what may come next week. I will trust and I will not be afraid. The Bible says, fear not, only believe. Believe in what? Believe in Christ. You may have a trying time. You will never get through it if you don't believe God at his word. That's how we get through those things. We believe God at his word. My father has a purpose for this trial. My father has a purpose for this sickness. My father has a purpose for this great day that he has given me. What is it that we have opportunity to glorify him by faith? So when the Isaiah says here, I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord, look here, the Lord Jehovah. 
Jehovah. The doubling of the personal name of God is vitally important in Hebrew. It serves as an emphasis of his role as a covenant-keeping one. So when we look at the word here, for the Lord Jehovah, that's important in the Hebrew language. Because we know that he is Lord, Yahweh, and we know that he is Jehovah, we know that, but here you have, for the Lord Jehovah. Now, just for the record and a side note, if you ever run across a Jehovah Witness, ask them where the name Jehovah came from, since they are Jehovah Witness. Well, just for the record, so you understand where the word Jehovah came from, you will know that the word Jehovah came from Tyndale, that first put it to letters, Jehovah, when he wrote the first English language Bible in that time period. That's important. Matter of fact, about 88%, 90% of your King James Bible came from him. That's important. But here, what I want you to see, I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord Jehovah. Think about those verses there in Isaiah 26, verse 3. Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace. What are people looking at today? I just want peace in my life. Well, where does that peace come from? Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind has stayed on thee, God, because he trusteth in thee. You say, I have a hard time trusting the Lord today. When you tell him that, help me, Lord. I'm trying to trust you. I know I should. Your word says so. I need your help. I mean, we're in a time period today where there are a lot of hurting people. A lot of crazy things happening in families and lives. Lots of sickness of all sorts. But to the child of God, that will keep him in perfect peace. His mind has stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in, here's our word, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. So what do we find in our verse here? Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. If you try to live your Christian life in your human strength, you will fail. You must live your Christian life by the power of God Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you look at a verse like this, for my strength and my song, he also is become my salvation. Another word for salvation is he's my deliverer. I have been delivered. Okay? So when you think about Moses and the Israelites, they sang a similar song to celebrate deliverance from the Egyptians. Remember there in Exodus chapter 15, verse 2, this is a song, this is one of Moses' songs. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Does that sound familiar from our text here? He is my God, and I will prepare him a habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. That's what they sang after they were delivered. 
Now you and I know what the Exodus is like. God delivered them and they turned their backs on God. How sad is that? We would say, if I was there, I would never turn my back on God. I've seen the greatest signs, the greatest miracles I've ever seen. And to turn your back on him that did those signs and make a golden calf and worship the calf as the deliverer. <coughs> it's called idolatry. What about Psalm 118, 14? The Lord is my strength and song <coughs> and has become my salvation. See, we've seen them words quoted three different places here so far. So when we look here, we think my strength and my song, he also has become my salvation. I can look at the word of God and I can say, Jesus Christ is my Lord, my God, my Savior, my propitiation, my life, my everything. You know why? Because that's who I am in Christ. So what does Isaiah say here? <coughs> This is part of the first song here. Verse 3, Therefore, with joy shall you draw waters out of the wells of salvation. Therefore, with joy. How can we be a Christian and not be full of joy? We're human. We've fallen short. As a Christian, don't let anybody steal your joy. The only way you lose your joy is if you give it away. It's important to understand that. So what do we find here? Isaiah's readers doubtless thought about how God satisfied the physical thirst of the ancestors and their walk in the wilderness of sin. God satisfied that. The same provision for their descendants. When the Messiah comes to deliver the nation, of Israel, there is coming a day. Look what he says here in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 17. When the poor and needy seek water, there's none, and their tongue faileth for thirst. But I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open up rivers and high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys, and I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. Who will do that? God. That's how faithful he is. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. God never turns his back on his children. God never turns away from us. He has given us everything we need to live in this life. He has given us every answer to every counseling situation, every problem that you have. He has already answered it. He will tell you if you will read his word and read his book and ask the Holy Spirit to give you understanding and give you discernment. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. The anointing from above teaches us all things. That's what your Bible says. And so when we look at a verse like Isaiah 35, verse 6, the Bible says, Then shall the lame man leap as a harp or a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break forth and streams in the desert and the perched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons, where each lay, shall be grass with reeds and rushes. There is coming a day in the millennial kingdom that everything will be satisfied. In the millennial kingdom, we will sing praises unto God. We will forever be with him. We will reign with him. 
for we are priests of God. For your Bible says that. So when you think about the New Testament, it amplifies this provision that we speak of here today to include a supply of spiritual water for the thirsty soul. Are you thirsty today for Christ? Are you thirsty? Look what he says in Revelation chapter 7, verse 16. They shall hunger no more when God reigns. Look what he says. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light of them, nor any heat. For the Lamb, that's Christ, which is in the midst of the throne, shall what? Shall feed them. I will not hunger no more. That's what he's saying there. He says, shall feed them and shall lead them unto fountains, living fountains of water, and God shall what? Shall wipe away all the tears of their eyes. There are no tears in heaven. None. None. He, he wipes them away for his children, for his lambs. I mean, look what he says. Here's a great verse. Revelation 21, verse 6. And he said unto me, It is done. That's God speaking. God said unto John, and he said unto me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I give unto him that is a thirst, the fountain of the water of life, freely. Freely by grace, you must know. Revelation 22, verse 17. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the bride, the church, say what? Come. And let him that heareth, come. Heareth. Heareth. And let him that is a thirst come. The Holy Spirit has a point here. Come, come, come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. See that in verse Revelation 21, 6. Freely. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. Look at our next verse, next song. Can you sing these songs? Do you know him well enough to sing these songs? And in that day, talking about this same day, this is the millennial kingdom. This is restoration. God does it. And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord. Can you imagine a day of your life without sin, without pain, without sorrow, without tears, and just joyful Christ? Joyful Christ. And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare. Declare. Declare what? His doings among the people. The word doings here is another English word of the word deed or a sense of effecting or bringing it to pass. 
Okay? So when you look here, he says, and call upon his name and declare his doings among his people and make mention that his name is exalted. So when you think about that, following the future day of the Lord, Israel will testify to the rest of the world about what? About his greatness and his majesty. Why do we testify about his greatness and majesty? Why are we bold? Paul said, pray for me that I may be bold in my proclamation of the truth. And Paul said in Ephesians 6. I mean, this was his purpose for his earthly people from the beginning. Israel to be the light and the salt of the world. But they rebelled. And some would say, did, did God know Israel would rebel? Absolutely. Amen. Can you imagine if something would have happened where God didn't know what was coming to be? That God don't exist. Does not exist. That's important. So when you look at these verses here, Psalm 145, verse 4, one generation shall praise thy works to another. You know what that means? That's why we tell people about Christ. You know what Christ has done for me? You know the salvation he has given me? You know the forgiveness that he has granted me? Do you know that positionally I am justified before a holy God? Do you realize that I have nothing to fear in death? Fear is nothing but a shadow to me. And when I pass through that shadow, I come into the very presence of my Christ, the one I have served, the one that I have praised all my life. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty. There's our word. Majesty. And of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts. And I will declare thy greatness. The greatness of God. John 17, verse 26. And I have declared unto them, Christ speaking, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love whereof thou hast loved me, speaking to the Father, this is the true Lord's Prayer, John 17, okay. As I have, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, and that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Can I tell you something if you're a child of God here today? God loves you as much as he loved his only begotten son. Have you ever had a love as such as that? You wake up weeping in the night you think about the love of Jesus. You think, Lord, forgive me for these tears. I know you're there. I know you're there. I feel your presence. I, I know you're walking with me. I know that your word is true. I know what you say is absolute. I know that I am yours and you are mine. And Lord, I know I can feel and hear your intercession for my soul every day. When I come into hard times in my life, you carry me through with simply amazing grace, Lord. I don't deserve it, but it's grace, and I love it. Look at our next verse here in our text. The Bible says there in verse 5, Sing unto the Lord. You know, we talk about singing. You know, back in the old days, a lot of the churches, they do what they call hymn sings. 
They give testimonies of God's amazing grace in their life, things that God has worked in their life, things he has done, health that he has restored, blessings that he has given, all these things that we wept and prayed for. God is satisfied. He has met our needs. He has spoken to us in our hearts. We know that he is, our, that he is ours and, he is our, and we're his. But look what he says here. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is no one in all the earth. Read a couple more verses in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9. O Zion that bringeth good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up and be not afraid. Say unto the cities of, Jeho Je of Judah, Behold your God. That's where that study came from. Behold your God. When you look at Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, the Bible says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders, which is the raptured church, which sat before God on their seat, fell down upon their faces and worshipped God. How did they worship God? Verse 17. Saying, we give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. Is that where your heart is today? Should be. When you look here again in our final verse, 6, Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. The Hebrew here of this verse personifies Zion as a woman by commanding her to cry out and shout in celebration of the Lord's greatness. When you look at Isaiah chapter 8, verse 18, the Bible says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion. Isaiah 41, verse 14, Fear not, thou worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer and the Holy One of Israel. So when he says, cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. But you know, I looked in verse 41, verse 16. And the Bible says, and thou shalt fan them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the whirlwind shall scatter them, and thou shalt rejoice in the Lord, and shalt glory in the Holy One of Israel. This is the verse I like. I like all of them, actually. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I want you to see Christ more real than you have ever seen him.
How about when you pray that you know God is right there with you, praying alongside you? As a paraclete, comforter, counselor, wonderful, almighty God, Prince of Peace. That's what I want you to see and understand. He's real. He's right here. Let me finish this verse. I want you to see it. Because I feel many times I'm the poor and needy. I feel that my tongue faileth with thirst. There are days I feel like quitting. Walking away. It's all selfishness. I want God to be magnified. I want Christ to be exalted. Because the rest of this verse here, when the poor and needy seek water and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. He will not forsake them. And in closing, went to a minor prophet, Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 15. What a day it will be in the millennial reign of Christ. What a day it will be to go to Jerusalem and to worship Christ. What a day it will be when the tears of my eyes are wiped away and my heartbreak is taken away and I see the glory of God in Christ. Then I thought of these verses here in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 15. The Lord hath taken away thy judgment. He has cast out thy enemy. The King of Israel, even the Lord, Yahweh, is in the midst of thee. And thou shalt not see evil anymore. In that day, in that day it shall be said unto Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion, let not thy hands be slacked. Verse 17, Zephaniah 3. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy. you imagine God rejoicing over you with joy? Talking to us. The Lord thy God is in the midst of thee is mighty. He will say. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will, here we come, he will rest, he will rest in his love. And he will joy over thee, thou good sinner. Let's read the verse slowly. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest his love, and he will joy over thee, the saint. 
we see how faithful God is to Israel. He is as faithful to Israel as he is to us. The church. Dispensationally, there is a church, and there is Israel, and there's a millennial kingdom. That's as far as my dispensationalism goes. They're separate. Because the promises that God has made to Israel, he will bring to be. He will not forsake Israel. And he will not forsake his church. Because he loves us with an everlasting love before the foundation of the world. Praise God. That's you if you're God's child. We look at all the craziness going on. We think, what about this and what about that? Yahweh reigns. Men do not fear. I do not fear men. But we need to fear God. Remember, we can look at it what the Bible says. Put the fear of God in your heart. Put the dread of God in your heart. Put the terror of God in your heart. But fear God. He loves you. And the fear of God that I'm talking about keeps us from sin. But he's faithful to us. He loves us. Listen to me. All this that we're talking about here today was done before the foundation of the world. In God's book, it's finished. He's already written it. In our book, because we don't have God's mind, we're working our way through it. But the thing that brings the greatest peace to me is God wrote the book and all he's told me to do is trust him day by day, moment by moment. 